Welcome to this episode of Finding the Future, where we interview thought leaders and innovators in land use and sustainability. I'm Bill Griffith. Today, we visit the bustling city of Seattle, where a grant from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation has paved the way for construction of a landmark building on the campus of the University of Washington. The UW Population Health Project is pulling together three departments at the university to address the most pressing questions of the day for human health and environmental resilience. The project also hopes to address economic equity across the globe. A unique global mission demands a unique building, and Kristen Dotson is at the center of the action, bringing almost two decades of experience in sustainable projects to the team of stakeholders. Dotson is an architect and director of sustainability with the Miller Hull Partnership in downtown Seattle. She took me on a tour of the building and their offices, and they really speak to their specialty design practice. Well, I think they were looking to renovate our office anyway or potentially move out. We were growing as a firm, and so we needed just space for our people. And I think that spurred a larger effort of what did we really want our space to be for our people. Miller Hall's got an incredible company culture, uh, one of the best I've ever seen, frankly. Really values our people, really wants to support them because we know good people make good work. And because of that, combined with our experience with the Living Building Challenge, having done the Bullet Center, Uh, relatively recently, we knew it was possible and we wanted to hold ourselves to the same standard that we try to push our clients toward. So they decided to pursue the Living Building Challenge as part of our office renovation. Because we can't control our water or our energy, because we're leasing tenants, just like a lot of folks, we pursued the materials pedal. Um, And we really wanted to leverage the knowledge we had in terms of specifying redless-free or redless-compliant materials to make the healthiest environment we could really taking advantage of all the daylight that we have and the views that we had in our location right on the waterfront of Puget Sound and really pushing where we could go in terms of even the layout of the desks. No one has a private office. All of our partners are sort of scattered amongst um, the projects that they're involved in and that they work on. So it's really an egalitarian situation, both the way people sit, but also the way the company really tries to run. And so it was the space more reflecting our values and reflecting the truth of how we run our firm, how how things are done. We switched gears a bit and started to dig into Dotson's current project, UW Population Health. The building occupies a key piece of real estate on 15th Avenue, which is the major gateway to the university's central campus. From the start, the building had to be different because of its tenants and its mission for improving global health. So bringing together folks from the School of Public Health at UW, the Department of Global Health, and the Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation putting them all under one roof to see where they could collaborate to find ways that we could find population health solutions further, faster, farther, which is Gates' entire mission. So Gates has worked for a very long time with IHME. They do a lot of the data visualization, data tracking metrics. They did the Global Burden of Disease database. Basically, anytime you see any article where it's talking about health metrics, like health metrics tied to zip code, like the asthma quality of this zip code, you know, things like that, Almost inevitably, they're from IHME. It's, it's and what is IHME? Institute for Health Metrics. Oh, at the University of Washington. Yeah. Okay. Yep. So, so that's one of the groups that's coming in under this. That's one of the tenants. One of the tenants. The three or four. It is all of IHME. Okay. All of the Department of Global Health and just part of the School of Public Health. Couldn't fit the entire School of Public Health in there. But they're all working on these global health problems. So the idea was like put them in a space where they can really collaborate effectively. And the idea is we'll get better solutions. Um, We'll get better solutions, we'll get them faster, we'll be able to help more people across the globe live better, healthier lives. So 
That's why I say it's not straight philanthropy. It was yeah. definitely a grant, but it's a grant that's designed to help build solutions that then feed into Gates' mission. It's intriguing to think about how you design a healthy building from the start. So many times you hear about sick buildings, buildings that are plagued by mold or bad air and have to actually be torn down. On the other hand, UW Population Health is a healthy building from the start, focused on wellness and finding solutions for healthy living, built on a team approach. Yeah, it's a bit snake-eating its tail. <laughs> yes, exactly. Um, I would actually say a lot of our projects do that. I think that's just something that Miller Hall does really well. And it's not just Miller Hall, all of our partners. You know, we're partnered with PAE Engineering and Lewis, our contractor, the general contractor on the job, and, and everyone really who's a part of it. It's a huge team. But everyone's really kind of mission-driven in a way, both within our own missions, but we're all kind of pulling in the same direction. So I think that's part of why UW liked our team, uh, like the team we pulled together, is really understanding their goals understanding what they were trying to achieve, not just what the program said, and, and infusing that in every aspect. Infusing that in the building, infusing that in the program, infusing that in the process of actually delivering the entire thing. Um, you know, making it part of the stakeholder engagement, just top to bottom, how are we driving toward health solutions uh, for this particular project? You know, that the word health is on the building, so if we're not addressing health at every scale in this project, if we're not at least thinking about it, then we fail. Today, part of measuring and tracking success is building certification, whether it is LEED certification or FitWell certification or the Living Building Challenge. Certification has now evolved from energy efficiency and sustainability to creating a living environment that is not only healthy for the people who work in the building, but for each and every person in the supply chain and even the laborers who put the building together. They are going for Lee Gold version 4. Yeah. I believe it was the first version 4 project on the UW campus. Okay. It is 300,000 square feet, so it's not small. It's right at the corner entrance to the campus, so it's also sort of representational of the UW in a lot of ways. It's eight stories, which is crazy for the UW to have something that high, too. So it's just this mammoth project, just from the, the stats. But everyone has a stake in it. So Gates Foundation has a stake in it. They want to know what's going on. They've got some input. IHME, like all three of the tenants moving in, were part of the stakeholder process because we wanted to make sure that they were getting what they needed, you know, that they were part of the design process. And so we weren't telling them what kind of collaboration space they needed. They were telling us. It's interesting. When you look at the design of the building, something is clearly missing. At first glance, you're not really sure what it is. But on most floors, there's no corridors or hallways. And that missing element is intentional. It's not like they forgot them or ran out of money. According to Dotson, corridors eat up space and kill collaboration, particularly if corridors lead to private offices. They went back and forth about that too. Are there going to be private offices? Are there not? What does that mean democratically? What does it mean for the hierarchy? There's going to be tenured faculty in here and they love their private offices. They feel like they've earned them. How much space do they really get? So we went round and round on that with the different stakeholders as well and came to a negotiated settlement, I would say, on the final result. So it was different. Those three different tenants had different things they wanted. You know, some wanted majority private office, single occupant. Some said shared office is okay. Some were like, no, we don't want any private office. In the design of the building, there was a lot of discussion of how to use modular building elements. In the end, the modular design saves money, but that's not the primary focus. So trying to figure that out too and hit a nice balance 
but also designed the spaces in modules so that they were cheaper to build, so not every office was custom. And so if they decided they wanted to change that in the future, you know, the demolition of that isn't so catastrophic that you're redesigning the whole building from the inside out again just for a space layout change. So trying to figure out all those flexibility moves within there as well. And do the offices actually break down the walls and partitions and whatnot? We're not doing demountables. Like we're not, we're not going that far that you can just, you know, pull a couple pins and move a wall. But the idea is that the way the modules are set up, if you wanted to move from like single occupant to like the four person, it's one wall you'd have to change and then the rest can just stay. With collaboration as the focal point, the building has to be designed for human interaction. And that means creating inviting spaces that encourage people to meet and work and connect. Dotson said traditional building design just doesn't work for this type of building. We want collaboration between these three tenants. We want them to talk to each other. They, we want them to run into somebody they haven't seen in three years and say, oh my gosh, what are you working on? Wow, oh, I'm just on the other floor. Like, come up and see my stuff. Or like, oh, let's have lunch. Or like, you know, let's just have a quick conversation staring out this window in this little kickout of the hallway because it's a nice view. And again, it's an eight-story building, so it's got some nice views out of there. So yeah, every square foot is really trying to build a space that people aren't moving through, that they're able to linger, that they're able to socialize in a way that builds their community, but builds the, the intellectual capital of the work there, too. Even in the realm of budgeting for construction, the project is at the forefront. Dotson described a process called integrated progressive design, which goes beyond typical design-build methods. The idea is that any savings that are realized in the construction process go back into the project, with appropriate incentives for contractors to actually find those savings. I don't know that you can deliver progressive design build without an integrated design process. And I'm not steeped enough in contracting and all these things to tell you if the way our project is doing progressive design build is how everybody does it, or it's just kind of unique to this project, or if it's just the Miller hallway, I, that I can't answer. But I can talk about how it went on this project. We are all contracted to Lewis, the general contractor, Lisa Crutcher Lewis. So all of us, the architect, the landscape, okay. electrical, and we had the essentially what you'd consider the subcontractors on board from day one as well. So when we're in design meetings with the three stakeholders, we've not only got Lewis there as the general contractor giving real-time pricing and scheduling you know, feedback, the architects, the engineer, the design engineers, M-E-N-P, but we've also got the guys who are actually going to be building it in the field. We've got Hermanson on mechanical. We've got Vecca on lighting. You know, we've got them in the room, so they're giving real-time cost estimates to these different potential design strategies. So instead of the team working with the contractor to say, like, oh, we're going to build this, oh, we cost it, oh, no, let's cut back and value engineer it, the entire team's involved from day one collaborating on, here's our target budget, how can we make the design meet that? So we're building up rather than cutting down. And as a contingency is not used, it can be repurposed. So you have, you have things that you'd like to add to the project, but you're going to wait and see how far into the yep. contingency you go. From the beginning, the team undertook benchmarking to understand the project's range of costs. With real-time feedback on actual construction costs, the university as the client could decide what they could afford to build and what they couldn't, especially in a booming construction market. And so we set through this whole process, which took a very long time and a lot of negotiating and back and forth for sure, not as simple as I'm making it sound, but we developed what they called the base target. So you can see sort of that line is what we said this building should cost to get you what you want. 
and then kind of a min and max within that range of what seemed acceptable, and then comparing that to what we had as actual building budget, and dialing down that base target to be less than the target, than the actual allowable budget. So we had the contingencies and everything allotted for, and as the design team works through this, because it's progressive design build, so we're kind of designing as we're building, every time that we can find a way to drive efficiency, either within our process or within cost, that money goes back into the project. And it goes back into the project in a way that it can be leveraged anywhere. So it's not just like if mechanical finds a way to save money, they keep that. It goes back to the project for the benefit of the whole project. And the way they make that of value to the team is they have these incentive ad programs as part of the contract. So if the team is able to do this, there's money that comes back to the team at the end of the job as a reward for working in this way and finding these efficiencies and these solutions. As we wrapped up the interview, we spent a few minutes on Dotson's personal story, and it is clear that she lives her mission for building sustainable projects. She has organized her personal and professional life to serve this goal. And as for the Population Health Building, it will open to faculty and students in the fall of 2020, with the promise to reach people around the globe, hoping to reduce disease, promote good health, and access to clean water. These are big goals for one building, but by tapping into the kind of innovation and design that went into construction of the project, stakeholders are planning for big results. Thanks for listening to this episode of Finding the Future. Look for additional podcasts on land use and sustainability. I'm Bill Griffith. <laughs>